Alright, uh, today we're going to uh, not jump back into Mark. We'll get into Mark later. Um, I'd like you to turn to Matthew chapter 16. Um, Mike mentioned the summer teaching series. I want to encourage you all to be there. In light of the recent uh, Supreme Court ruling, many people have been inquiring about the topic of uh, gay marriage and things related to that and how it uh, what scripture says about that, what's, what might be in store for us uh, in terms of our religious and civil liberties and things of that nature. These things are going to be discussed. I encourage every one of you, I especially encourage you young adults and teenagers to be there because your, uh, your generation has uh, in, experienced the most propaganda and the most misinformation regarding this issue, and it's very important that you be there. Um, in light of that, uh, or that that will partly explain uh, my my uh, sermon today. I'm not going to be speaking specifically on that because I want to discuss that throughout the summer um, to equip you. But today I want to talk briefly about the importance of uh, discerning the times. Matthew 16, verse 1, says, Then the Pharisees and the Sadducees came, and testing him, Jesus of course, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said to them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. My version says, hypocrites, you know how to, how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern uh, the, the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. This uh, really rebuke by Jesus to the Pharisees was their um, lack of insight to what was happening around them, their dullness, if you will, their lack of discernment to see what was happening right before their eyes. Of course, in their case, one greater than Jonah was in their presence, amen? And he was there, but they couldn't see it. They were um, blind, if you will, to what was going on. Um, unfortunately, I think many of us in the church are blind to what's going on around us also. And I think it's imperative that we understand the times in which we live. Why? I'm going to give you five reasons why we need to understand the times in which we live. First, in order to be effective missionaries, we must, must understand the times in which we live. In Matthew 28, Jesus gave his church a great commission. It reads like this in Matthew 28, verse 18. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Our first obligation toward the unsaved world is to proclaim the gospel of God's redeeming grace. Let me say it again. Our first and primary obligation 
toward the unsaved world is to proclaim the gospel of God's redeeming grace. If you are concerned about the moral decay of our society, the abortion, the pornography, the homosexuality, the violence, the oppression, the racism, then the place to begin is by preaching the gospel. The foundation of any social change is personal regeneration. History repeatedly shows us that reformation follows revival. Reformation follows revival. No revival, no reformation. No regeneration, no reformation. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And that salvation works its way out into not only our personal behavior, but our family behavior, then our societal behavior, and then even our political behavior. The moral decay in America that we see is a result of the fact that our culture has abandoned the Word of God and the light that God has witnessed to them through only, not only Scripture, but also creation. The solution to that is the gospel. Now, let me say this. I do not believe that our primary motive for preaching should be to save America. Our motive should be to save souls. Our motive should be to recognize that for those who die without Jesus Christ, they will be separated from His love and grace forever in a place of torment. And suffering. That ought to be our motive. It just so happens there's a secondary benefit to faithful fidelity in preaching the gospel, and that is that we see change, positive change around us, and we benefit temporally from that. Every one of us, every Christian, is sent by God to his particular world, his particular culture. I don't know about you, but in light of recent events, I'm not really happy to be living in this time. It's a sad day to me. It's a very sad day in America. I uh, spent day yesterday with friends, and I had a great time enjoying uh, Christian fellowship, but in reality, I wasn't celebrating America. There are many great things about our culture, but, but it is very clear that we're headed in the wrong direction. There's no question about that. Um, But the reality is, we are here this day and this time and this culture by God's providence. God has placed us here now. He could have placed you uh, back in, you know, uh, 30 AD. He could have placed you back in 1776. He could have placed you wherever he wanted to place you. He placed you here in America in 2015. And he's placed us here for a reason. And one of the reasons is to bear witness to his gospel in this time, in this place. We are to speak for Christ in our culture and to be effective missionaries in our culture. We must discern the times in which we live. We must understand our culture. R.C. Sproul said, It's not enough simply to know the contents of the gospel... It is also important that we understand the society in which we are acting out our role as missionaries. 
Secondly, we need to understand the times, and this is a corollary to the first point, so that we might walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. Look at Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. Let's start in verse 2. It says, For to continually, excuse me, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter, writing to the church really under persecution, says, verse 13 of chapter 3, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? Now, this is a rhetorical question. Um, He's not saying that if you do what is good, you won't be harmed. Because if you read the whole epistle, it's clear that's not what he's saying. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake... You are blessed, and do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, or some versions say the Lord Christ in your hearts, or Christ the Lord, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So, Peter here and Paul in Colossians is telling us that we need to be wise. We need to be able to speak with grace, with wisdom, with discernment, with knowledge, when people inquire or we have to give a defense of the gospel. You will be inquired of regarding gay marriage. You will be. In one form or another. If you are willing to make it known that you are a Christian. By knowing the, the, our contemporary situation, the modern worldview, if you will, what's happening around us, and by knowing what Scripture says, we should be better equipped to answer questions and handle objections to the faith. Therefore, we're really more prepared in communicating the gospel to the lost. Uh, at our at our get together yesterday, there was a young girl there who who had a conversation with my wife, and she was asking, her, she was explaining to her that she needed some books to read because she was getting questions from different people about her faith, and um, and so she needed help. She was trying to do what Peter exhorts us. She was trying to to get prepared. She was reading books. She was thinking through the issues because she wanted to be prepared and be able to give a wise and discerning answer to those people that were asking her. Let me tell you, it's not enough to say, well, the Bible says. Because for many unbelievers, that's, that's not the beginning of the conversation. That's the end. They won't, like, okay, well, I know you're just a fundamentalist, so 
I'm not going to talk to you. If you want to win people, especially people you're working with, or people you're seeing on a regular basis, you have to, you have to enter into a conversation and you have to be able to explain to them, uh, you, you need to be able to have answers to their questions. Now, some questions are um, really intellectual facades. They're not real questions. And so, but, but there are some sincere questions. Some people do have questions. Um, they don't understand. Not only do they not understand Scripture, um, they've heard many lies about Scripture. They've heard many lies about Christianity. And so you you have to... I mean, it's amazing to me how many times I've been asked about the Crusades. I'm like, what? I wasn't there. You know. I wasn't the Pope, you know? I mean, you know. But that's the kind of thing that happens. Why? Because of the propaganda, the anti-Christian propaganda that people have heard. And so what do you say to that question? Uh, that's, that's actually an important question now because of the, the, the rise of militant Islam. And more and more, we're going to have to be able to engage people on this issue of Islam. And what's the difference between Christianity and Islam? What's wrong with Muhammad? Um, and questions of that nature. So we need to discern what's going on so that we can be effective missionaries and we can answer people with wisdom and grace. Third reason is so that we can be salt and light. In Matthew chapter 5, well-known passage, but I'd really like us to read it again. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus, after giving the Beatitudes in verses 3 through 12, he says in verse 13, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled, trampled underfoot by men. Uh, dire warning there. That if the salt doesn't fulfill its function, it becomes useless. And what, what happens to it? It gets trampled by men. It sounds like what's happening to the church in America. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Being aware of our current situation helps us be salt, be the salt of the earth. Why? Because ignorance of our society and its ideologies often leads to the adoption of a non-Christian worldview. What I mean by that is, we are told in, in Romans chapter 12, do not, well, let's read it. I want you to see it in your Bible. Or on your phone. <laughs> Romans 12, look what it says in verse 1. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove or discern what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
Did you know that there was a time, even in America, when white Christians thought it was okay to enslave black Christians? Is that okay? No. Well, what happened? They did not renew their minds and they were being transformed to the cultural ideology of the day. And we see the same thing happening today in many areas. Let me, let me tell you, friends, it is, it is profoundly disturbing when you read the, the social studies on the church in America versus the culture. And what you find is that on most moral issues, the church is not discernibly different. The church is looking at pornography. The church is engaging in sexual immorality. The church is accepting homosexuality. The, the church is aborting its children. All the way down the list, the church is conforming to the world. Not only in their behavior, but in their ideology. All you have to do is spend a day on Facebook. And you see Christians defending all sorts of things which are fundamentally contrary to Scripture. Now, they might be sincere, so I don't want to be insulting. But the point is, their minds have not been renewed according to the Scripture. And so, therefore, they do not discern the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. But they think they do. And so, if we do not um, discern what, what... the world is thinking, we end up thinking like the world and then calling it Christianity. We have to be able to understand what is alien to Scripture and what is not. I mean, one of the great heresies that the church in America has adopted is the gospel of prosperity. And I don't just mean the extreme examples of it. I'm talking about the fact that American Christians put their personal peace and affluence above everything. This is a common problem in all of our churches. That's because we are being shaped by the culture and we are not renewing our minds. Listen, if we are not significantly different from the culture, then we we don't have a witness. You only witness when you're different. So we're called to be salt and light. We're called not to be transformed to the world, not to think like the world, and we need to be able to identify the propaganda and the ideologies around us so that we we can discern truth from error. Because it is very easy, especially in our day, when we are constantly bombarded through every form of social media with alien ideologies, unscriptural ideas. We breathe them. And it's like they just, almost like osmosis, begin to soak into you. Oh, you know, well, yeah, sexual sin's not that big a deal. And, and, and more and more we see in the evangelical church, the younger generation saying that fornication is basically okay, and that cohabitating is basically okay. I could give a sermon, boy, could I give a sermon on that. But since there's some young children here, I won't. But let me just say this. When you look at Scripture, there are, there are several passages which are called viceless or sinless, where, where it's usually Paul, where, where he just gives a list of these things, you know, this behavior, this behavior, this behavior, and, and, and in several of them he says, you will not, they will not get into the kingdom of God. 
And I believe there's eight of them in the New Testament. Then if you add the Decalogue, that's nine. If you add the Holiness Code in, in Leviticus 18 and 20, then it's, then it's, uh, you have, you have ten. Ten lists. In every one of them, sexual sin is mentioned. In every one of them. It's a big deal. And yet, our, because society doesn't think it's a big deal, the church is beginning to think it's not a big deal. The question is, who is it, who's it a big deal to? If it's a big deal to God, it's a big deal. You know, the prevailing ethos now is such, and Lewis, Lewis saw it two generations ago. Where he wrote a, he wrote an essay which became the title of a collection of essays, and it was called God in the Dock. Anybody heard of that book? God in the Dock. Well, a dock in, in the British system was a place in court, like a square box with a, with a wooden railing, and in, in the square box, in, inside this railing, this was called the dock. And the dock is where the accused stood. The accused. And that's our disposition that we see in our culture. God is being attacked. Not, I don't mean just by the atheist. But I mean just the general spirit of, well, how dare God do that? How dare, how dare God say that? And there's no fear of God. No fear of God. Even in many of our churches, there is no fear of God. No reverence for Him. And that, that spirit, if you will, causes us to lose our savor because we end up not being all that different from the culture around us. John Whitehead, the constitutional lawyer, said, As a thinking being, the modern Christian has succumbed to secularization. Now, he wrote this a number of years ago. Today, he might change it and say neo-paganism. He accepts religion, its morality, its worship, its spiritual culture. However, he rejects the total view of life, which sees all earthly issues within the context of the eternal that relates all human problems, social, political, cultural, to the doctrinal foundation of the Christian faith. As a consequence, the faith ineffectively uh, fails even to minimally raise the ethical standards of the American population. Sproul says, I doubt if there's been a period in all of Christian history when so many Christians are so ineffectual in shaping the culture in which they live, as is right now in the United States. It would be one thing if the church in America was this extreme minority. But the fact of the matter is, for generations, professing Christians have been the majority. And yet, while being the majority, we've seen a continual moral and spiritual and political decline in our country. The salt in America has lost its savor. And one of the reasons is we've become intellectually lazy and morally flabby. Professor Postman, who's actually a 
not a Christian, says in the 18th and 19th centuries, religious thought and institutions were dominated by an austere, learned, and intellectual form of discourse that is largely absent from religious life today. Today, most sermons are pep talks. They're they're stories, they're anecdotes, they're um, bumper stickers on steroids. And the goal of church is to leave feeling good. If you don't leave feeling good, it wasn't a good day at church. I told you about the pastor I ran into. I was doing a hospital visit. It was Saturday evening. And I was introduced to him and, and uh, as a pastor. He said, oh, good to meet you. And he said, by the way, what's your opening joke for tomorrow? Totally serious. What's your opening joke? I was like, huh? And then I subsequently learned that he always has his opening joke every Sunday. Got to entertain. Got to keep him coming back for the for the show. In addition to being intellectually lazy, the church has become morally flabby. As I've already said, the, the most studies confirm that the professing church is not significantly different on moral issues. Um, this has been demonstrated repeatedly by various pollsters like Gallup and others. It shows that areas like lying, cheating, stealing, not reporting theft, and now even in areas like watching pornography and other issues, the church is pretty much like the culture. Fourth reason we need to discern the times is ideas have consequences. Being aware of our culture is not a luxury, it's a necessity. Because what people believe will eventually determine how they live. Ideas do have consequences. Hitler had an idea. You know what it was? He had an idea that Jews were subhuman. Did that idea matter? It mattered to the six million Jews he murdered. There's an idea in America that that babies in the womb are not human. You think that matters? It matters to the to the 1.4 million babies that are aborted every year. Ideas do matter. And and the tendency is we hear crazy ideas advocated in the public square and we think, oh well well that will never actually become a reality. Well, no one would have believed a generation ago that abortion would be legal in America. No one believed that infanticide would be legal. No one would believe the filth on the Internet would be unregulated. And no one would have believed that homosexuality would be blessed and codified as a sacred union. No one would have believed that. Because we continue to believe the lie that the world is not governed by ideas, but it is. What people believe ultimately determines how they live. And so we're hearing new ideas. I read an article the other day. Scientists are now saying that pedophilia may be a sexual orientation. Well, there's an idea. So all the laws that have been put into place the past 20 years protecting sexual orientation... Well, guess what's going to be protected next? You say, I know what you're thinking. Oh, no, 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 no. 
Well, that's what they said a generation ago. Homosexual marriage? No, 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 no. Abortion on demand? No, 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 no. Taking a prayer out of the schools? No, 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 no. Yes, 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 yes. Karl Marx had an idea. He believed that religion was the opiate of the people. And the result was that millions upon millions upon millions of Christians have been imprisoned, tortured, and killed under communist rule. I could go down the list of ideas that have had consequences. So we can't be naive. We cannot be uninformed. It's not a luxury. It is a necessity to be informed. My last reason is that we need to be informed and aware of what's going on so we can pray intelligently. Pray intelligently. 1 Timothy chapter 2. If you want to turn there with me. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Therefore I exhort first of all the supplications and prayers and intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all who are in authority. Today, if, if we were writing this, we would say for politicians, for judges, or maybe for magistrates, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there's one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. As I said recently at the, at the Friday night meeting at the Life Group, uh, this exhortation by Paul, you could call it a command, We'll call it an exhortation. This is one of the most disobeyed scriptures in the Bible. Next, perhaps, to the failure of the church to actually fulfill the Great Commission, this is one of the things the church generally does not do. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but the reality is, if I asked you to raise your hand and said, have you prayed for your president Have you prayed for your representatives? Have you prayed for the Supreme Court? Do you do so on a daily basis, a weekly basis, a monthly basis? Very few hands would go up. So here, Paul is is specifically telling us to do something. A certain way to pray, and we don't do it. Now he says we should do it. Why? Because... That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. So if we don't do it, guess what? We might not get to lead this quiet and peaceable life. You tracking with me? Yes. And as the church in America has not been serious about the Great Commission, has not been serious about intercessory prayer, what we are seeing is more and more the church's life is going to be, um, how shall we say, uh, thrown into turmoil by what's happening around us. Now listen, I'm, I'm, 
I'm a good American like all of you. And uh, I love nothing more than um, sitting up and watching a good program or watching a good sports game and forgetting that the world's out there. My cozy little couch, my cozy little bag of cheeses, my cozy Diet Coke, my cozy remote, and I want to forget the world's there. The problem is the world isn't going away. As a matter of fact, the more that we ignore what's going on around us, the more it presses in on us. It is a growing thing. We can't continue to ignore the issues in our culture. We cannot do this. We are already paying a price for it, and it will get worse if we continue to do this. Um, yeah, it will get worse. I encourage you to please come to the life group on Friday night. We're going to be talking about primarily the recent decision, the biblical view of sexuality, how to answer questions, um, how to talk to people that may be gay or have same-sex attraction, things of this nature. This is very important because this is an issue on everybody's mind. Okay, this th- You need to be prepared to talk about this. Okay, If you're going to be a witness, which you ought to be, you need to be prepared. So please come. It's vitally important. And you parents, you need to be there. And if your kids are of the appropriate age, you should bring them too. This is vitally important. We can't continue to stick our heads in the sand. I believe that if we hadn't done that years ago, we wouldn't be where we are today. We just continue to, to, to stick our heads in the sand. And, and, and so, therefore, things get worse and worse. We cannot continue to do that. We have to be informed. We have to be able to witness, to walk in wisdom, to speak effectively to people around us. Amen? Um, let's stand together. We're going to pray. Justice, can we put a mic up here? Can I just put a mic here? Can I have a stand? We're going to set this up here for you to pray. Father, we thank you um, that you have condescended to reveal yourself to us. And I thank you that you've given us your word. I thank you that you've given us your light. Um, And Lord, you uh, have called us light. You said we are children of light. You said that we are the light of the world, just like you were, Jesus. Lord, I pray that um, we, your people, would take our calling seriously. I pray that we would get serious about the Great Commission. I pray that we would get serious about intercession. Lord, um, you know my heart and you know my uh, sadness at the things that have been going on in our society. I pray that you would um, enable me, enable us to be faithful in this day. To be faithful in this time and in this hour. Because this is where you have placed us.